0: our time together in this, in this series, you've had a discussion that's gone something like this. There are parallels uh, between Jonah's story and Jesus' story. And, and I hope you've had that conversation like, hey, Jonah was in, in the belly of a huge fish, fish for three days. Um, Jesus, he was in the tomb for three days. That's kind of a weird similarity, a kind of a, a shadow of what was to come. Or, or how about this? Jonah, he, he, uh, I'm kind of giving away some of my later stuff in the sermon. That's kind of the point of the sermon, but I'm just so excited about it. Um, Jonah, uh, he, uh, uh, he he went to Nineveh in spite of himself. I mean, he just he, he went to save his own skin. Jesus came to Earth because He loved us, because He He, he wanted to. And so, so there are contrasts and similarities between the story of Jonah and between the story of Jesus. And I hope you've had that conversation over the last month or so. If you haven't, the good thing is we're going to have it today. Because there are many similarities. And Jesus actually refers to it in this, in this uh, text that we're going to look at this morning. Because there are many similarities. There's many uh, uh Comparisons and contrasts. If we could go back to ninth grade English between the stories, because Jesus was at work redeeming a lost people way before He ever showed up on the scene. He was He was giving shadows. He was providing shadows of what was to come, of, of what was to come. More importantly, who was to come? And you see that very, very clearly in the story in the book of Jonah. So this morning, Matthew chapter twelve is where we're going to be. And if you have your, your Bible, that's where we're going to be. If you have your, the U version app, uh, as as I've been we've been talking about the last month or so, you can find it there. Go to events, and then uh, in the bottom right hand corner, and find the events there. And you can follow along. And then the questions for home group are going to be there as well. And then my wife told me to tell you if you want to save it for home group, you have to push save in the upper right hand corner. Um, so you can have those questions later on uh, this week or tonight, whenever your home group is. If you're not in a home group, you should be in one. We have a great time. It's awesome. All right, Matthew chapter 12. Let me set up what's going on. We're actually going to pick up the story in verse 38. But let me tell you what's going on, so that way uh, we're all on the same page. Jesus has had a confrontation with the religious people, and it's been brewing for some time. In this chapter, it comes to a head. Because Jesus has the audacity to cast out a demon from a man. He's demon-possessed, and Jesus, out of compassion for the man, casts out the demon. And these religious leaders began to begin to proclaim that Jesus has cast out that demon from the power of Satan, not from the power of God. And Jesus confronts them for this blasphemous statement. He says this, The the kingdom of God is at hand, and you are going to completely miss it if you don't understand that it's found in me. I am the kingdom of God, and if you miss me, you miss the kingdom of God altogether. And he talks about the unpardonable sin, and we're not going to talk about this morning, but essentially here's what Jesus says. If you're kind of looking through the, the verses, basically here's what he's saying. If you have a hard heart towards God, and it's daily and weekly and monthly and year after year after year, Jesus says that at some point, he just gives you to that heart, to that hardened heart. And that's what he means if you're reading through it and you're wondering, what's the the unpardonable sin? What's what's the sin that God doesn't forgive? It's only, uh, I say only, but here's just for clarity's sake, it means a heart that never turns to him, that never repents, that never bends its knee metaphorically and bows to the Savior of the world. And Jesus is telling these religious men, if you continue with this blasphemy, if you continue to say that the work that God is doing through me is actually the work of Satan, you're going to miss the kingdom of God altogether. And so this is what's going on. This is what it's brewing. And it comes to a head when Jesus heals this man. And we're going to read the conversation that they that Jesus and these religious leaders had after that takes place. But before we jump in, I want to pray. So let's go to the Lord. Father, you've got much to say to us today through your word, and I pray none of us in here would miss it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse thirty-eight, Jesus is speaking actually the scribes and the Pharisees are speaking to Jesus and he's going to respond. Verse 38, it says this. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So Jesus said, you're going to miss the kingdom of heaven if you don't understand that it's found in me. And they say, well, how can we know for sure? We need a sign. Now, whenever I I begin to to, to get ready for a sermon, the first thing I do when, when I settle on a text, is I, I just read it all the way through. I don't do any study. I just read it all the way through. And when I did that this week, and, and I kind of knew where we were going to be going ultimately in this, in this series, I, I, I opened up my Bible on Monday, and I read this text from 38 down to 42. And I just read straight through. And the very first thing that came to my mind when I read verse 38 was this. What more of a sign could these guys want? I mean, after all, up to this point, Jesus has already shown that he has power over the natural world. Here's what I mean. Jesus stood on the bow of a boat with the storms raging, with the the waves coming over the ship to the point that it might sink. These seasoned sailors thought they were doomed. And Jesus yelled out to to uh, to, to the storm, peace be still. And you know what happened? It was still. The the waves ceased. Jesus went up to a a man who was a leper, who had leprosy. And he touched the man and he was healed. He he walked up to a blind man and he he spit on the ground and he, he, he made some mud and he healed the man. And these scribes, these Pharisees, these religious people, if they didn't see it with their own eyes, they'd heard stories about it. He had had demonstrated over and over and over again. Not only that, he had a a young boy. You can read through Matthew. Just just look at the headings. A young boy is, is raised from the dead. And these scribes, these Pharisees, if they hadn't seen it with their own eyes, they'd heard the stories. Not only that, he had demonstrated his power over the supernatural as well. I mean, he had just cast out a demon. From this person. And they saw it with their own eyes. I mean over and over. Time and time again. He had had performed these miracles. These signs. Demonstrating his power over the natural and the supernatural world. And here these scribes and these Pharisees are asking for another sign. This is what this verse reminded me. That there are times that, that, that miracles Let me just read it. It is easy for me, for us, to overestimate the power of miraculous signs to change the heart of doubters and skeptics. It's easy for us, though, to overestimate the power of miraculous signs to change the heart of doubters and skeptics. These religious people had seen sign after sign, miracle after miracle, and they're just asking for another. Now, in case you're you're sitting here wondering, that seems a little bit harsh. I mean, Jesus, they're asking for us. I mean, they seem to to really desire to know about you. Uh, Just kind of as a point uh, 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 of understanding. These men had no desire to understand more about Jesus or who he was. They were were simply trying to, to leverage another miracle and turn it and make the crowds uh, believe that he wasn't who he claimed to be, even though every evidence pointed to the opposite. They, they, they didn't have pure hearts when they asked this question. They weren't really seeking. They, they, were, they were just looking to leverage more evidence against Jesus, even though that very evidence pointed to the contrary, pointed to Jesus being exactly who he claimed to be. These, their, 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 their question, um, the, the motives were not pure. They were just trying to trick Jesus. They were just trying to trap Jesus as they regularly did. This morning, if you're here, you don't know Christ and you're seeking, I mean, genuinely desire to know Christ. He invites you to come and to seek. To to look at his word and and to, to compare it, contrast it against evidence outside of it. I mean, he invites us to, to ask the tough questions. He's not scared of them. In fact, just this morning, I was, was having a conversation with a lady uh, who, who arrived. And, and she said, I was, at, I was saying, God, if you care about... A, a, a com- a, she was in having a, a conversation with a boy. And she just said, God, if you care about him, then, then you got to show up here. And he did. I mean, he invites the tough questions. If you're genuinely, honestly seeking him, these religious leaders were not. So look at how Jesus responds. But he answered them, Jesus answered them in verse 39. An evil and adulterous generation seeks forth a sign. Jesus rebukes them. He says, you're not getting a sign. You've had plenty, and you're not getting another one. But no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So Jesus says, you're an evil An adulterous generation because you seek for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign for the prophet Jonah. So here's what Jesus is referring to. He's he's pointing out that Jonah was what we call a a typical prophecy. And and what that means is that Jonah was a type or a shadow or a foreshadow of who was to come in Jesus. Jesus was going to fulfill the shadow uh, of, of Jonah. And so Jonah was a type of Jesus, a lesser Jesus. Jesus, if I could put it this way, Jesus was a fuller, uh, uh, better Jonah. He, he's a completion of the shadow. He's the real thing of the shadow that Jonah was and Jonah's story was. And so what, what Jesus is saying is, you know the stories. He's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. You know the story of Jonah. You understand what was going on there. But he was just a shadow. He wasn't the real thing. I am the real thing. His story was pointing to my story. His his, um, uh, ministry was pointing to my ministry. He was a type prophecy. he, He was a typical prophecy, a type of who I am. And here's what Jesus meant. Just as Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish, so I am going to spend three days in the belly of the earth Because I love you. Jonah was running from his ministry. I'm running to my ministry. And my ministry is to redeem you, a wicked generation. And so Jesus is saying, is pointing to this prophecy that that Jonah was was a shadow. I am the whole. Jonah was was a a part. I am the whole. Jonah was... uh, Pointing to someone. I am that someone. He goes on. Verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So here's what Jesus says. The nation of Nineveh is going to judge you, the first century Jews. Why? Because they repented from a five-word sermon. You remember what happened? Jonah shows up to Nineveh. His heart's not in it. He gives them five words. That's it. Five words. He walks through the city saying the five, those five words over and over and over again. Repent or you're going to be destroyed. And they listen to that, that, that very uh, uh, small, short, um, uh, 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 sh- just short sermon. They, and they listen to it and they repent. You, first generation Jewish nation. You have the Messiah, and you've had me for three years, and you have not repented. You've turned your heart, you've turned your back on all the evidence that you've been given. The the small amount of evidence that Nineveh was given, the small message that Nineveh was given, and they heard it, and they repented, and their city was saved as a result, and you have been given three years with the Savior himself, and you have turned your back on it, and because of that, you are going to face judgment. And Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, are going to be the ones who rain it down on you. So here is what I want to do as we close this out. I want to give you three three ways, three considerations. On how Jesus' message was far greater than Jonah's. You might want to write these down, I don't know if they would help you or not. But just three ways that Jonah's message was less than Jesus's, how Jesus' message was better than Jonah's. Number one is this. Number one is this: the certainty of the message. The certainty of the message. Nineveh got a short message, a truncated message. I mean, it was five words. He said, 40 days, and you're going to be destroyed. And you remember how the king responded? Maybe, just maybe, if we repent, God will turn his wrath away from us. There was no certainty in it. The the city and the the, the king did not know for sure. They, they, They got their sackcloth and their ashes and they repented. But they never knew for certain until the 40 days had passed whether they were going to receive God's wrath. Think of that by comparison to the message that we have been given by Jesus. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. In verse 17 it goes on, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's a certain message. He goes, Paul, the Apostle Paul goes on in Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no doubt. Jonah showed up and he said, you got 40 days and God's going to destroy you. And they turned, they repented, but there was no certainty that God's anger, his wrath, would relent. When Jesus showed up on the scene, he brought a certain message that God's wrath has been poured out on his son perfectly so that in its place we could receive God's forgiveness. That leads us to the second point. Number two, the promises of the message. The promises of the message. Nineveh, their only hope was that God would relent. But the gospel is that there has been this cosmic exchange. It's called imputed righteousness. That means that that God's um, that, that that our sin has been placed completely and totally on Jesus and He took it to the cross and He defeated it once and for all. But not only that, but Jesus' perfect righteousness has been imputed, has been given to us. That's a spiritual exchange. That Nineveh did not receive. The, the promise of that exchange was not given to Nineveh by a, an imperfect prophet. But the Son of God came and He revealed this to us. That He would take our sin. He would give us His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's a huge promise. That Nineveh did not receive and yet they still repented because the prophet was imperfect. Let me see if I can illustrate this point of imputed righteousness. It's a imperfect illustration, but I hope it'll help. When Mary Jo and I walked down the aisle in July two thousand five, she had been working as a teacher for about three years. Now you're not going to get rich. I mean, I, I should probably get a lot of amens for that, but it, it's 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 a salary, all right. It's a salary. I was I, I was out of college for about a year and and. Uh, I was, I had like a gap year, okay, but I didn't get to travel Europe. Um, I had a gap year between graduating college and starting, and going on to, to seminary, going on to get my master's degree. And so I had a year there, and that's when we were engaged and, and waiting to be married. And, and uh, during that time, Mary Jo was teaching. Now, Anita, because she's going to be here the next hour, I need to make this point. She's not three years older than me. She just finished college in the right amount of time. I did, all right? Just point of, point of clarity there. Um, but she'd been, she'd been working for three years, steady income. And when, when we got married in July 2005, I was broke. I mean, broke is a joke. I'd been doing odd jobs, substitute teaching, just, just biding my time until I married her. And, and uh, uh, we went off and, and I started school. So I was broke. In July of 2005, I got a best friend. I got a beautiful bride. But here's something else I also got. I got a fuller bank account. (laughs) And here's the greatest part of it. I didn't even have to mess with the kids. Like, I I got all the benefits of her paycheck, but I didn't have the responsibility or or the, the demands of being a teacher. So I got all the good things without even the negatives. In a very imperfect way, that's exactly what happened when Jesus imputed his righteousness to those who would bow their knee to the Savior of the world. We got, in essence, a full bank account without the demands of pay for our sin because we couldn't do it anyway. Now look, that, that illustration breaks down eventually, but, but I hope you understand the point. I received something that I didn't deserve, that I didn't earn. And it was mine because Mary Jo was willing to say, I do to me. And as a result, our, our bank accounts were joined. And I was able to receive the benefits of her labor. And in an imperfect way, illustrated, that's exactly what happens when the Savior of the world comes in. He takes our sin and defeats it. And in its place, He, he imputes to us, He gives to us, we receive. His righteousness, so that the Savior, uh, so that the God of the universe, Creator, the Father, the Judge, looks at us and doesn't see the sin that's been defeated. No, it's, he sees his perfect Son's righteousness. It's ours now. Nineveh didn't receive that message. But Jesus brought it to us. We have the certainty of the message, the promise of the message. Lastly, the character of the messenger. Nineveh received a hate-filled, racist prophet who felt superior to the people that he was commissioned to share this good news with. Us, Jesus couldn't have been more different. He came and loved us in spite of ourself. Here's what I put in my notes. Jonah ran from his assignment. Jesus ran toward it. Jonah came only because he had to. Jesus came because he loved us. The only reason Joseph, Jonah delivered the message to Nineveh was to save his own life. Jesus knew. Jesus delivered his message even though he knew it would cost him his. Jonah was thrown overboard into the sea because of his own sin. Jesus was cast into the sea of God's wrath for ours. You see, Jonah really is a truer, excuse me, Jesus really is a truer, greater Jonah. Jonah was a shadow Jesus was the whole. As good as this message is, as exciting and as much good news as this message uh, is that Jesus brought to us, there are many in our neighborhoods, there are many in this area, there may be some in here that are going to miss it. Going to miss it altogether. Because this is, is received, it, it, it's received by Grace. It's it's received by faith because of God's grace. This this message is applied to us. It's it's given to us by faith in the work that Jesus did on Mount Calvary so many years ago. It's by saying, God, I I couldn't earn this. I couldn't deserve this. But but man, this is a great message. I I need this in my life. I want this in my life. Come and, 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 and... be Lord of my life. Be in charge of my life. It is, you. I am your vessel to do with whatever you want. Come in and save me of my sin. Give me that righteousness that Jesus said was mine. If I would receive it by faith, I want that righteousness. Take my sin. And yet so many people in this southwest Missouri that you walk around and I walk around every day are going to miss it. Because they haven't done it. In 1829, George Wilson and James Porter, up in Pennsylvania, went and they, they robbed a a U.S. postman. And, and about a year later, they were caught. They were tried, and they were convicted. And, and the, the the sentence for their crime was death by hanging. About a year later, it was going to be on July 2nd of two, of 1830. Uh, They were sentenced to to be hanged for their crimes. Porter, James Porter, was hanged for his crime. George Wilson, because of connections that he had, he actually had some mutual friends with the President of the United States, Andrew Jackson. And they were able to to, to, uh, get him pardoned, to get George Wilson pardoned. Andrew Jackson signed an official pardon on behalf of George Wilson. He was going to be pardoned of all his crimes against the postmaster. I guess there were some other crimes that he was going to still have to serve some time for. But but the death sentence, Andrew Jackson pardoned. Well, word got back to the jailer. The jailer went to George Wilson and he said, hey, got some good news, man. The President of the United States has pardoned your death sentence. You are not going to die for your crimes. You're pardoned. Well, an amazing thing took place George Wilson refused the pardon. He said, I don't want it. Well, the jailer's like, dude, I, the, the president of the United States gave you this pardon. I can't send back word that you've refused his pardon. He said, nope, I don't want it. Well, this was such a, a, an amazing turn of events that they actually had to take uh, the pardon and the rejection of the pardon back to the courts. And the, this, this uh, made its way through the, the, the court system and it got all the way to the Supreme Court. And they were going to determine if, this, if George Wilson had to take the pardon that was granted to him by President Jackson. They heard both sides of the case and here is what they concluded. The United States Supreme Court determined, quote, the court cannot give the prisoner The benefit of the pardon, unless he claims the benefit of it. It is a grant to him. It is his property, and he may accept it or not as he pleases. Chief Justice John Marshall went on to write, A pardon is an act of grace, proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws. But delivery is not completed without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tender. And we have no power in a court to force it on him or anybody. So it is with grace. So it is with grace. Let's pray. Father, Father, Thank you for your word, and we thank you that you are a truer, better Jonah. What was imperfectly given to Nineveh has been perfectly taught and lived out in the person of your son. Jesus, we thank you for that this morning. And Father, most of all, I pray that there would be nobody in this room that would walk out rejecting it. That there would be nobody who would who would follow in the footsteps of George Wilson, rejecting the pardon, the, the imputed righteousness that's been given to us by the Savior of the world, by the God of creation. In Jesus' name we pray.